Amen. A beautiful song, beautiful lyrics to bring glory to God during this time of year where we seek to really focus uh, ourselves on Christ and the meaning of Christmas. Let me just once again welcome you to Fellowship Church. If you are new, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and glad that you can come and be a part uh, of our service. And I really do hope that you uh, feel welcomed and that you know that we are, as a church, we're just glad that you're here and uh, hope that God um, will uh, continue to speak to you as he has already been doing through the music and the singing together. And I just want to uh, quickly uh, repeat something that uh, Pastor Tim mentioned earlier, and that is if you have uh, never been a part of our, our Christmas Eve candlelight service, let me just invite you to come and be a part of that uh, service. It's a very worshipful, uh, reflective service. I think a tremendous way to prepare yourself to uh, celebrate uh, even the next morning of what that means. We'll light the Christ candle um, and uh, just a wonderful time of singing. We'll fill this uh, room with voices and uh, just a beautiful time together. So I want you to come, invite you to come be a part of that. And then as he mentioned, also Christmas morning, uh, we will do what the church does on Sunday mornings, the Lord's Day. We will gather, but we happen to be gathering on the Lord's Day, on the day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, so we're not getting something wrong by coming together. We're doing what the church uh, is meant to do. So I wanna invite you to come and be a part of that as well. I have been uh, in, a, in an Advent preaching series over the past couple of weeks, uh, and so I'll continue in that today. And this is the time now where we gather around uh, to just listen to the word of God preached. And, um, and it's an important part of who we are as a church and why we gather. So this series, uh, this Advent series that I've been doing, God incarnate, God in the flesh. And today we're going to be looking at this uh, topic or subject of kindness made flesh. Kindness made flesh. And kindness is a word that uh, over the past couple of years has uh, become more popular. Uh, it's it certainly, it, it's a word we've all known for, for, for a long time, but over the, over the past several years, it's certainly gained uh, in popularity. I, I'm sure you've probably seen uh, kindness is everything, uh, yard signs uh, around. There are in many yards across the country and now even the world. Well, the reason that happened is in November of uh, 2016, uh, Kristen Garvey uh, wanted to make a political statement to her neighborhood. So she went to the store, bought some white foam board, took a black Sharpie, created her sign. And the last line of that sign she created, wrote, she wrote, kindness is everything. Now, the other statements that were on the sign supported some other social and political causes and not either of which I'm going to get into today, but each one quite controversial and polarizing. And uh, someone in Kristen's neighborhood uh, saw the sign, uh, took a photo, posted it on Facebook. You know the story, right? That's what happens. It goes viral. Within days, new artwork was created. Somebody who had that ability created some artwork. And soon after that, signs began to be mass produced. And now they're everywhere, including, uh, like I said, across the globe. The original Sharpie drawn sign is actually now preserved and displayed in the National Women's Party Museum, which is a political activist organization in Washington, D.C. There's now even a Kindness is Everything website, which explains some of their values 
again, most of which are political and social in nature. Now, as I mention all of this, if you, if you know me and you, you know our church, you know that I'm not advocating for any of this, just informing you about it because it's relevant. It's relevant to us. This word is relevant to all of us. It's all over our neighborhoods. It's uh, the, the friends we have, the people that you, that you, uh, that you know and, and work with, and maybe even family members will be familiar with this word, but they'll be familiar with it more so from what they're seeing out there. But nowhere will you actually see definitions of actually what it means. And I looked. Uh, there aren't, there's just, it's, it's kindness is everything, but we're not really sure what it means. What, uh, the, yes, they tell us about, they'll tell us about women's rights. They'll tell us that uh, science is real. Um, but at the same time, biology isn't necessarily, depending on how they look at that. They'll tell us love is love, which is part uh, of, that, uh, of that sign, but not really explaining. So essentially what happens is you have to conclude something, especially since it's the last line, and you have to conclude that in order to be kind, you have to accept these viewpoints. And if you do not, then you are not kind. So essentially, a lack of tolerance of their views is equated with a lack of kindness. And so we have to step back and say, is that really true? Is that what kindness is, really? Is, it, is kindness an acceptance of someone else's social, political, uh, religious, whatever it is, views, no matter what they are? You do that, you're kind, you don't, you're not. Well, what I'm here to tell you as we look through this today is that this story of Christmas actually tells us otherwise. God incarnate tells us otherwise. It's, it, it, is, it isn't true what, what, what it is that they're saying. Today as we look at God incarnate, we're going to see that kindness was made flesh. And so is the kindness represented on those signs the same kindness that was made flesh? And again, the answer is a resounding no, not at all. Today you're going to see, as we go through this, you're going to see what kindness is. I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to give you a definition of it. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it's not. And I want to show you how this kindness appeared on this earth. So I'm going to ask God to go before me and all of us. So would you pray with me uh, as I do that? Lord God, we thank you for this Sunday, this Lord's Day, that we have gathered in your name to hear your word. We believe in faith that what we're doing today is not at all in vain. It has meaning and it has purpose for each person that is here, that God would speak to them that God has purpose, that God has, has mission, and, and God has truth. And I pray that each of us that are here, even if it's our first time, even if it's our second week, even if we're dealing with a whole lot of stuff in our lives, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand your word. Go before me and our time together in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Titus chapter 3, and I want to tell you just a little bit about this letter of Titus. And if you don't have uh, a Bible with you, I'll, I'll put the, 
the text on the screen so, so you'll be able to see. But let me just tell you a little bit about Titus first. Uh, Titus was a, a Gentile convert, and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to him, uh, written in the mid-60s uh, AD, and it was written really to believers in the church, as many of the New Testament letters are. They're written to believers. And, it, and, and so what Paul's doing is he's, is he's giving this, uh, this, these truths and these exhortations to this young Christian, Gentile Christian, and helping him be discipled. And in verse 3, Paul is reminding Titus and all of us, other believers, we would be included in that. He's reminding us of how we used to live before we were made new in Christ. So if you're a believer, you've trusted in Jesus, there was, there was you before Jesus and there was you after Jesus and there should be quite a difference. And, and so this is what he's doing. He's reminding uh, Titus and the other believers how we used to live before we were made new in Christ and how we as unbelievers, because before Christ we'd be unbelievers, how we used to be. So look at verse 3. I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you to see. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So this is a description of believers before they were believers, and, and, and what Paul is saying is that this is how we were before Jesus in our hearts. Maybe, maybe some of this didn't come out as much, but in our hearts we thought this way, we lived this way, no matter how much we tried to fool other people, this is the kind of people we were. We were slaves to our passions, to, our, to pleasures. We, we would pass days with just malice in our hearts and envy towards others. We'd hate other people and and. And, and, and be hated by them. And this, this is the description. And then something changed. What changed? It's the question. What changed? Verse 4, but when, and I'm going to stop there because I'm going to pick it back up. What changed? But when, 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 that word when, when you hear that word when, you think about timing, right? You think about something, uh, you're going to know about when something happened. Not the what, not the how, but the when. And so for the ones described in verse 3, the foolish, the disobedient, uh, the, the ones pursuing various passions and pleasures, things changed for them. That would be all of us as well. So what happened? What, what event caused the change? Well, there was an appearance. That's what happened. There was an appearance. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared... So I want you to stay with what Paul is writing here. I'm going to walk you through this so that we, we connect all the right dots here. Paul is telling us that at some point in the past, something appeared. Something appeared. And that word appeared tells us that at some point it wasn't there and then it was there. Right, because if you're telling a story and you're like, I was just walking down the road one day, and you know, all of a sudden it just started to rain. Like rain just appeared. I didn't see any clouds. It actually looked like a nice day. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, get that smell of rain before. It just rain just appeared. It caught me off guard. Something appeared. There was an appearance. What appeared? So let's answer that. The goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. 
the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So now we know what appeared. When is in, in the past. It, it, it happened. Now we know what goodness and kindness appeared. Now in the book of Titus, if we were, if we were to look back through this book, we would see that there have been actually several appearances. We see grace appearing. We see glory appearing both in chapter 2, and now something else has appeared. Kindness has appeared. Now let's explain, Paul does a little bit of explanation here of the appearance. So far he's told us what appeared, the, the, the goodness and the loving kindness, and when it has appeared, it was in in the past. Now he begins to explain the appearance. And he says in verse 5, he saved us. Now, this is a very interesting way to explain what he's talking about. So stay with me on this. Who saved us? Well, he just says, he saved us. Because if you look back, which if you're reading your Bible, it's a good, good study approach. As if, as if you're reading and you see a pronoun like that, you should, you should be able to go back and identify what pronoun, that's who, who's that, who is that referring back to. And here, verse 4 is talking about goodness and kindness appearing on earth. But now verse 5 is referring to goodness and kindness as he, as a person. But before that, you just see a description. So what happened here? Paul is connecting true goodness and he's connecting true kindness with a very specific person. Very specific person. What person? Well, it's Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Look at verse 6. You see that, that phrase there, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's, he's getting there, and then, he, and then he reveals it. So now you can, you can start putting it all together, right? You're getting the puzzle pieces are, are fitting as we're looking at this text, and a picture is appearing. When Jesus Christ, our Savior, appeared, goodness and kindness appeared. So do you see what the scriptures are doing here? What Paul is doing under the guidance of the, of the Holy Spirit of God. What he's doing is he's making the person of Jesus Christ synonymous with the kindness of God. So we have to connect that. The person of Christ is being equated synonymous with kindness. So we're starting, to, we're starting to get a definition, a definition, an understanding of what it is starting to come together. Let's go back to the when question. When did this appearing happen? When did the appearing happen? Well, it happened when Christ was born. When he appeared to humanity in human form, God incarnate. So, so this is... A Christmas text. This is something that in your Bible reading, when you're reading, and, 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 and you might be reading the Apostle Paul, you might be reading one of the Gospels, there are times where you can stop and go, wow, this, 
This is talking about the birth of Christ. This is talking about God himself becoming human flesh. That tells me this is a Christmas text because that's what Christmas is about. And it's helping us see that. So what specifically does this appearing tell us? What does it tell us? I want to give you two things that it tells us. First is, it tells us that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is God's greatest expression of love and kindness to humanity. This is what it's telling us. That Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, being born is God's greatest expression of love and kindness to humanity. When it comes to love and kindness, there's no better way for any human to know what that is than in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. He's connecting kindness with the person, specifically Jesus. So if you know Jesus, the Jesus of the scriptures, not the cultures, Society, not a created Jesus, the revealed Jesus. If you know that Jesus, you will know kindness. It also tells us, second, that when Jesus was born, the kindness of God literally appeared to humanity. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared... Do not ignore how this, how this text is written. It's intentional. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when Christ was born, true kindness of God, our Savior appeared, was visible, was made known to humanity. So this tells us something, backing back up to how I started this tells us that we really shouldn't be looking to the world to understand kindness. Believers, and I say believers meaning you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior for your sin and you recognize that he is God himself sent in the flesh. Believers should not be looking, we shouldn't be looking to politics And we should not be looking to yard signs to know kindness. We should instead look to the one who literally embodies kindness. And that person is Jesus Christ. And when he appeared, when he was born, even as a baby, kindness of God appeared, was made known. To humanity. So now, if we take that truth and now we go back and look at a more classic Christmas text with these truths in mind, like Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who's Christ the Lord, text we're all really familiar with, we can connect these dots again together. Luke 2, Luke writes born, right? 
For unto you is born this day in Titus 3, Paul writes, appeared. But they're talking about the same event. And this is what, this is what we need to do as, 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 as Christians who are, who are learning the Bible and, 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 and allowing the Spirit of God to teach us. They're not talking about two different events. They're talking about God made flesh. What we celebrate at Christmas. Notice how Luke describes the one born. In Luke 2.11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, is the word that is, is how Luke writes it. Well, how does Paul describe the one who appeared in Titus 3? Verse 4, God our Savior. In verse 5, he saved us. What do saviors do? Save. Same descriptions. Luke 2, Titus 3, saving people from their sin is kindness. If we start putting this together, the one who appeared saved us. He saved us because we all needed saving. Now, what else does verse 5 say? It says, not because of something, not because of our own good works. So this great savior did not appear to save us because all of us did so much good that we finally filled up the queue that, that made it so that he could finally come, be born, and appear. No, that's not what happened. We, we, could be, we could be on this earth for all eternity, all of us, trying to do all the good possible, and it would never amount to enough. No, he saved us, this verse tells us, not because of our good works, but because of his own mercy. He, he saved us because of his own mercy, this is kindness, the kindness of God. Kindness is merciful. And so we're starting again to see the kindness, according to the scripture, coming out. The, the definition is coming out to us. So I need to now go back to the way that our world understands kindness. Well, we'll see how it compares to what, we just, what we've just learned and what we just saw in Titus 3. Kindness according to the world, according to our society. It's interesting how the world thinks they really control the market on kindness. But Christians, we, we do. Christ followers do. Because when he appeared kindness of God appeared. So we, we need to, as, as Christians, we need to take hold of these truths and, 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 and not just back away when the world says, no, here's what kindness looks like. So kindness, according to the world, is uh, being nice to everyone. These are, these are some of the 
descriptions that I've come across in, in doing the reading that I was uh, doing, uh, being nice to everyone, uh, affirming, and I'll put here a list so that you can follow along with me, uh, uh, affirming. That's, that's a huge part of being kind today. You need to affirm other people in whatever it is they believe and whatever it is that they think and however it is that they decide to live. You need to be friendly. And friendly has some very subjective, uh, a lot of subjectivity to it. But you need to be friendly. You need to be tone conscious. That's, that's a really important one in, in, in the kindness of our, of our day is, is tone conscious. And, and what I mean by that is you need to make sure that your, your, your tone is, you know, that you speak like this and, and, and that you're, you know, you're, you're very careful about your tone. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful about our tone, but God is also very much concerned about our motives. And if your tone is this, but your motive is this. And that's what we see, right? We see a lot of, a lot of nice tone, but a lot of underneath, uh, the knife is, is coming out. And that's not at all what God would understand to be as kindness. You need to be agreeable. And by agreeable means you agree. You, you don't disagree with me. Because if you disagree with me, that's not very kind of you. And you need to be tolerant. You need to be tolerant of, of, of all behaviors that, that I deem in my own life to be acceptable. If I deem it to be acceptable, you have no right to say that it's not acceptable. And if you're saying that, you're not kind. And so now you're starting to understand that kindness is everything, what it means. Their list is very subjective. And it is very subjectively applied. And more importantly for us, it's not in line with the word of God. It's not just our opinion. Shouldn't be arguing with people just because you have an opinion. They have an opinion too. You, your, your opinion needs to be rooted in the word. And so if you're, if you're engaged in conversation, make that engagement be rooted and founded on the scripture. So kindness according to the world is, and this is, I'm not claiming this is comprehensive, but I did take this from a lot of different sources to say, okay, this is a pretty good idea of what the world is considering to be kind today. Now I want to provide more of a biblical definition of kindness. And uh, here's how I came up uh, with it that I think helps, uh, I think it's supported uh, by, by scripture. It better be, right? I shouldn't share it with you. Uh, supernatural benevolence of our hearts toward all people for the glory of God. And I, I want to break this down a little bit. Uh, supernatural benevolence of our hearts toward all people for the glory of God. Supernatural means it's of God. We're going to see that here in a little bit. It's not really of us. Benevolence is a word that, um, it, it means goodwill. It, and it's interesting because we were just singing about that, right? We were just singing about goodwill toward men. Well, this would be, uh, benevolence would be a word that would, you know, could help be synonymous with that. And, and so it's not, just, it's not just goodwill that we express in action and behavior, but it's goodwill in our hearts. There's, there's goodwill in our hearts towards others that has come to us supernaturally of God. And it's toward all people. Key word there, all. Not my people. Not the people that look just like me. Not people that talk just like me. Not people that are always in the same, you know, economic status as me. Or everybody else. I really don't, you know. It's, but it's, it's, it's benevolence in our hearts toward all people. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. 
Doesn't matter what their background is, doesn't matter what country they came from, doesn't matter what language they speak. Toward all people. Why? For the glory of God. That's a key phrase for Christians. In other words, kindness isn't about trying to portray something to someone else so they think certain things about me. Biblical kindness is having our hearts benevolent towards others so God could be glorified through it. Very different for the glory of God. So it's not our glory. It's not our causes. Not your cause. In other words, and it's not, think about it because we do this, right? Well, they, this person is so kind. This one isn't. Well, what's your, what's your rationale? Well, they're really for my cause and they're not. Oh, okay, so I see how you define kindness. But that's how the world does it. That's not how, we're, how we're, we are to do it. So it's not our glory. It's not our causes. It's not our opinions. These are the kind people because they agree with me. These are the people that are not kind because they don't agree with me. Scriptural kindness is rooted in the glory of God. Worldly kindness is rooted in everyone's individual opinion of what qualifies as, con as kindness. And the goalposts are always moving. So today's kindness may not be tomorrow's kindness, according to the world. That is not the case with the word of God. You can read it, understand it, and know it, and apply it. The goalposts aren't always moving. So you never know when you're in the end zone. Someone thinks that they got there, and they're about to spike the ball, and they're, none, of the, none of the fans are cheering, and they're like, what happened? And they're like, oh, that's not kindness anymore. Now you got to go a step further. Now you got to do this. Oh, because the goalposts are always moving. So biblical kindness, supernatural benevolence, it's the goodwill of our hearts toward all people for the glory of God. Now, if that's happening, that's internal, external will follow. So if you're saying, yeah, but pastor, there's got to be some behavior, right? There's got to be some, some action behind it. Absolutely, there does, there, there should be, but... That will happen when it's of God doing it in your heart. So now what I want to do is further clarify this. And so to do that, I want to give you some descriptions of biblical kindness. And I have five of them. First one is this. And some of these are going to repeat based on this definition. Uh, but the first one is this. It's supernatural spirit produced. So if we, if we think about, okay, how am I going to understand biblical kindness? Well, the first thing you need to realize is that it is of the Spirit. That's what Galatians 5 tells us. God glorifying kindness is a fruit produced by the Spirit of God in us. It's not you trying to be. It's the Spirit of God. It's you yielding yourself to the Spirit of God, and he is producing it in you which is how it's supposed to work. So it's not demonstrated by putting yard signs up. It's not demonstrated by sharing the right posts, by liking the right posts, by hearting the right posts. It's not, this is, this is the world's understanding of kindness. If you do this, you will be this. You'll be viewed as this. That's just cultural virtue signaling. That's all it is. 
This is supernatural spirit produced and it's happening internally. Another description, the second one, is that it repents of all sin committed against our holy God. And you might say, what? Wait, hold on. Hold on, pastor. Uh, Kindness that repents of sin? Kindness and repentance don't seem to go together. What kind of kindness is that? Well, that would be what we call scriptural, biblical kindness. Romans 2.4, this verse is a verse and a text that your pastors have shared with you numerous times. So I'm thinking it's taking root. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, patience, not knowing what? That God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. This makes it clear that only because of the kindness of God can we repent. I don't need to re-preach that message again, but in the context of what we're talking today, God glorifying kindness is not seeking to justify sin before a holy God. It is seeking to repent of sin. Third, it forgives others, not because they deserve it, but because Christ has forgiven us. It forgives others. Kindness is forgiving. Again, not because they deserve it, but because Christ has forgiven us. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another. Doesn't stop there. Tenderhearted, which would be a word helping to describe what was just said. Be kind, tenderhearted. There's that heart. See how internal that is. But what's the expression of that kindness? Forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Why is that important? Well, it's important because what we learn from Titus 3 is that our God is kind. And he expressed that kindness to us when his son appeared. And he forgave us through his son. So, of course, he would expect us to do the same. Kindness doesn't cancel people because they don't agree with us. God glorifying kindness seeks to forgive. Why? Because we understand the grace and mercy of God extended to us. Do you, do you understand the grace and the mercy that God has extended to, to you individually in saving you? I want you to think about that. I want you to ask yourself that question. Do I really get just how gracious and merciful God has been to save me? Here's how I'll help you answer if you do. You will be quick to forgive others because that's what Ephesians 4 is saying. And this is how we need to be, to be kind. We're forgiving people. We, this church, thank, I'm, I'm thankful the church is continuing to grow. God continues to bring more people here. With more people come more different backgrounds, different theological viewpoints, different everything, right? So what we are going to experience as a church is more opportunities to forgive, right? 
because we're going to keep running into people who are not like us. And let me just, let me just tell you, the, the mission of the church, the mission of, of, of what we're doing is not let's make this church just like you. And I mean that to each and every one of you individually. Because you're thinking probably this church would be great if they were all like me. <laughs> right? That's how we think. But the reality is what we're seeking to do is submit to the Spirit so all of us can be made more like Christ. And that takes some humility from each of us, submitting ourselves and being quick to forgive, not quick to hold a grudge, not quick to point out all, all, all the reasons for why you can't have or be in a uh, relationship with someone or you need to cut them off, but a, but a reason for you to say no, for the glory of God, I will do what I need to do because I cannot, I cannot, I, I can't get un, outside of the, uh, just the overwhelming sense I have of what God has done for me. As God in Christ forgave you. Fourth, it thinks eternal, not temporal. You might think, okay, where, where are you going with that one? Um, I, I want to actually point back to a text in the Old Testament, uh, the book of Ruth. So I'm going to need to do some explaining here. and Hopefully it will make sense to you. In Ruth, chap, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, uh, Naomi is, uh, is speaking here, and she's speaking to Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And here's what she says, and I'm going to explain it afterwards. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord. She's speaking, when she says he there, her reference is to Boaz. And she says, may he, Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That's an interesting statement. I want to explain what's going on there. So in the book of Ruth, Ruth tells her mother-in-law, that's who Naomi is, her mother-in-law, about Boaz. Because Ruth was out uh, in the fields and and uh, Boaz was very gracious and kind to her. And so she comes back, Ruth, and she tells Naomi how kind Boaz was to her. And so Naomi, her mother-in-law, speaks blessing on Boaz. But in speaking of the Lord's kindness, she says that the Lord is kind to the living and the dead. And Naomi, what's happening here, she understood that God's kindness extends even to eternity. It's, it's not only about the temporal. She had her eyes on the eternal. Now, we have to step back here and understand Naomi's predicament. Naomi knew trial. Her family went through a famine, and the famine was so great that they had to leave their homeland where they lived and went to another place to live to find food. Now, we've, we, each of us have had struggles financially, I'm sure, but how many of you had to leave the town you lived in because there was no food left in the town and you had to go to another town where there was food? This is, this is her situation. This is, this is not made up. This is real. This, was a, this really happened. And, and she goes to, to this new place and her husband dies. Then her two sons died. I mean, this is, this is, this is tragedy, right? All she had left now were her two 
daughters-in-law, and one of them said that she couldn't take it anymore, so she wanted to go back home with her people. So now all she had left was Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And through all that trial, Naomi blesses this man who was kind, and, he, and she speaks of the Lord's kindness, not forsaking the living or the dead. Trial, trial does not equate to a lack of kindness from God. You might go, how in the world is Naomi being thankful to God with what she's going through? Because she wasn't focused only on the temporal. She understood that there's an eternal, and too many times we're so focused on the temporal that we can't see the kindness of God. Because we translate kindness as all of these things need to go right for us. We need to have more of an eternal perspective when it comes to evaluating the kindness the Lord gives to us and extends to us and the kindness we extend to others. And that means that it's not kindness just to be nice and cordial with an unbeliever year after year. I'm gonna be nice to them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really be careful with my tone and I'm gonna ignore their eternal fate because what I really want for them is just to say that I was nice. That's not kindness. It's not kindness to condone sin in the temporal, to gain the approval from people in the temporal, in, in the here and now, to, get, to gain kindness or to gain uh, attention or status even from the masses while ignoring the fact that we are dealing with people and their souls for eternity. So we have, we have this balance that as Christians that we have to, that we have to master under the, under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that is that we can't ignore the temporal, temporal, right? People need help in the here and now. And that's why our church does so much of what it does. It's the reason we have a, a food pantry. It's the reason we have a clothes closet. It's the reason we have a benevolence ministry. It's the reason we do congregational care and reach out to people in their need right now. But part of that ministry is also also to help them recognize that there is an eternal as well. Because we can't forget that either. We have to balance it. And we see that in that story. And then finally, it is literally embodied. The, the, fifth, uh, the fifth one is, is it's literally embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't wanna, if we want to understand kindness, this is where we're going to understand it. When the goodness and love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Kindness was literally embodied in Christ. The kindness and love of God appeared when Christ was born. Jesus also said that he was the only way to God, the only truth about God, and the only life with God in John 14, 6. Some would say he was not very inclusive with that. He was very exclusive. In a lot of cases, he was not nuanced he was direct. Jesus did not live worried how history would judge him, which you hear a lot today, right? That's, the, that's part of the new understanding of kindness. Be aware of how history will judge you. He was consumed with how God would be glorified through him. That was his concern. And yet, here he was, the very embodiment of kindness. When he was born in Bethlehem, 
the very kindness of God appeared. So my exhortation to you today is not, hey, my pastor preached a message on kindness and said at the end, be kind. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying be kind. I'm not saying be kinder. And I'm not saying be nicer. And I'm also not saying don't or be mean to everybody. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying kindness is everything. Because kindness is not everything, at least the way the world is describing it. No matter what their signs say, their version isn't everything. I will say this, Jesus is everything. Be like him. That's the difference. Because he was the embodiment of kindness. The one who appeared on that Bethlehem night, when he appeared, the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Take that in. That is not a phrase for you to just blow by and not be at all touched by it. Let that hit you. And so Christmas then can serve as a reminder to us. May the story of Christ's birth remind us, remind you, that when Christ was born on that first Christmas night, the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Kindness made flesh. And we praise God for it. That's why as a church, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate this because we believe this is worth celebrating. And we want everyone to know. We want the world to know how great our Savior is. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that on that first Christmas night that we, the, the people, the humanity witnessed the very goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, when Jesus appeared, when Mary held this child in her arms and the shepherds came and the Magi came later, they were witnessing the kindness and love of God. Lord God, help us to, rem to be reminded of that in the Christmas story and help us to take that uh, forward, Lord, into our lives as we seek to be made like you. We're so thankful and we celebrate with, uh, with praise the day that you were born. You, Jesus, coming into the world. We're so thankful. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.